Welcome to Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. Sound more excited, Dr. Rick. I'm trying, but that music is just kind of putting me in a trance right now. Can you believe this is our third episode? Uh, no, actually I can't. I thought we were for sure dead in the water after number one, so... Oh, we're back for number three. And we're not talking about a three-peat, like, fill in the blank. <laughs> but... Do you watch professional sports? <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, insert. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Who's three-peat? <laughs> we got the Bulls had two three-peats. Well, they had two three-peats. Yeah. That still counts as a three-peat. Okay, <laughs> it's that math thing. Damn it. Damn it, though. <laughs> so do we need to reshoot that? <laughs> no, that was really good. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. The Patriots, technically. So Gross. Three years in a row. I don't follow the Patriots, so I have no idea. Technically, no one cares about the Patriots, likes them, and they're all a bunch of cheaters. So okay, well, that's all we have to say about that. I think of my... This podcast is over. Can we mute producer Brennan's mic? Because if I have to hear about the Patriots anymore in my life, I'm done. Well, they're the best team in the NFL. I get a lot of slack for not knowing a three-peat. And, and don't, you know, I'm from Cleveland people. Remember that. True. We have true. no three-peats in Cleveland. True. Guy hasn't won anything since the Cavs. LeBron giving LeBron, you that one miracle championship. One, number one. <laughs> and then the Indians back about That's true. That's 80 true. years ago. That's true. More than that. Maybe. Yeah. Were, you ra- were you around back then, Dr. Danny? No. No? No. Okay. Just making sure. <clears throat> but anyways, we're back. I'm Dr. Danny. I'm Dr. Rick. We're excited to be here for another episode of Medical Minute. So, you know, I think uh, it's May... And it's getting hotter. Hold on, you're forgetting something. Uh, oh, we forgot our joke. Oh, uh, I thought we could just skip over that because all the feedback we've gotten so far is the worst part of the podcast. Actually, Other... everyone said it was really their favorite part of the podcast. No, they all said my nasally drone is the worst. And then number two is Dr. Danny's jad joke. I read the dang reviews, Dr. Brenna. <laughs> Producer <laughs> Brenna. <laughs> we definitely need to keep that in there. I read so let me tell you another joke, even though you don't want to hear it. How do you make a tissue dance? Just tell me. You put a little boogie in it. <laughs> Why do I do this podcast, I ask myself. So, Dr. Rick, it's getting hotter in Florida. Summer's around the corner. So how are we going to keep our patients safe from the sun, the UV rays, and... Tell us a little bit about what you inform patients of the risk of sun exposure and some of the prevention methods that we can administer to them. And hopefully we're not administering too much to them in terms of How that. are we preventing skin cancers, Dr. Rick? So first off, acknowledge that the month of May is Melanoma Awareness Month. Uh, we live, as Dr. Danny alluded to, in the state of Florida, which being from Cleveland, I guess he thinks all Florida is just sunshine and applesauce, despite being here for part of his training. We have about two months, maybe, of sun in Ohio. Maybe. So how did you play golf? I I still don't understand how this works. It's a good question. Anyways. So May is Melanoma Awareness Month, and as a pasty white Irishman, I take sun prevention very seriously, uh, and it's something that is extremely important and certainly become 
a very big topic of discussion. It's become a line of products from every big company under the sun, beauty product manufacturer. Um, it's a you know a multi-million, billion-dollar business a year. So I think it's something very important to talk about. But I think the first step is acknowledging what it is and what the risks are, what the damages are, and what the consequences are of continuous sun damage. Dr. Danny, can you get into a little bit about what are some of the risks of sun exposure? Well, the risk of sun exposure, it's, it's a cumulative risk. So again, starting from young age into adulthood, uh, you know, we have a cumulative exposure to UV rays, being outside, um, you know, wearing sunscreen intermittently definitely increases your risk of uh, UV damage, which could lead to not only melanoma skin cancers developing, but also non-melanoma skin cancers. Um, and what, what we should talk about a little bit is, you know, how, how should patients examine their own skin? How often should they see a dermatologist? And what are some of the signs that may be a pigmented spot on their skin is, is irregular and should, should get further evaluated? Um, you know, I think in the state of Florida, because it's, it's many days of, of beautiful sunshine and, and a lot of good weather to be outdoors, um, we encourage our patients, our family members, our friends to wear sunscreen all the time. And anytime you're outdoors, you know, the, the risk of any skin cancer, melanoma and non-melanoma, um, included, uh, are, are exponentially higher in patients who don't wear sunscreen on a regular basis. Um, we recommend annual dermatolo dermatologic evaluations. Seeing a dermatologist once a year, I think, is, is crucial in adulthood. Um, you know, doing a full body skin exam, especially for patients at higher risk. Um, you know, patients of fair complexion are at higher risk. Men are at higher risk. Um, you know, and we need to be you know, aware of our own bodies, knowing when to go see a specialist. You know, what I look out for is, you know, if there is a, a mole on your skin or some kind of pigmented skin lesion, which you don't know if it's normal or not normal, you can go see your primary care doctor first and just get, get an evaluation and get, get an opinion on it. Um, and the things to look out for are irregularities, you know, are the borders of that lesion irregular? Are they smooth? Yeah, I think there's a, a mnemonic we learned. Um, it's pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, a, B, C, D, E. Uh, Sounds straightforward. Yeah, I, I think that's the letters of the alphabet in order. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So yeah, as Dr. Danny was alluding to, um, you're looking for asymmetry, which basically means it doesn't look symmetrical, as in Part of it is misshapen compared to the other side. Then B is borders. So you're looking at, are the borders very well defined? Is this a clearly demarcated lesion or is it kind of blurry and fuzzy and sometimes can be you know, challenging? C is color. So you're looking for changes in color over time. You're looking for particularly dark or um, uh, brown lesions that have a lot of melanin, which is part of the precursor and why melanoma gets, where melanoma gets its name. Um, you're looking for diameter. So what's the size of, of it? And then finally, most importantly is evolving. Um, has this thing changed? Because 
most skin cancers change over time uh, versus a freckle or a mole that pretty much looks the same as it has the last time you looked at it. Um, I know Dr. Danny's got some moles in areas he doesn't want me telling the listeners about, but he could tell you that they haven't changed in size significantly over time. And I think that's important when you're talking about these different lesions and how to evaluate them. But as Dr. Danny alluded to, first step, your primary doctor, but really everyone, especially in Florida, should be seeing a skin doctor or a dermatologist at least once a year for an in-depth full body exam. And I think Dr. Rick brings up a good point about, you know, these evolving lesions. You know, there are moles and, and freckles on the skin, which um, have been there a number of years for patients. And what to look out for is that, is there a new lesion that pops up, something that wasn't in an area where you had a freckle or a mole before? It's a new spot, you know, showed up within the year. Those are, are things that need to be checked out right away. Um, it's more common to have a skin cancer pop up in an area where you didn't have a mole or didn't have a freckle before than it is to have that mole evolve into a melanoma or a skin cancer. Um, so just being, again, in tune with where you have these, these uh, marks on the skin and, and being aware and, you know, your derm dermatologist will document this um, every year you go see them. So it's very, very good to have that follow-up. And I think, you know, Dr. Danny alluded to sunscreen. Um, certainly should it cover any exposed areas of your body with sunscreen when you're going to be outside for any significant period of time. The other part of it is um, coverage. So clothes, long sleeve clothing, hats, um, those sort of things you should be Wearing when you know you're going to be in a sun-exposed environment um, as well. You know, especially in Florida, we obviously have a lot of folks that are into fishing or going to the beach or being out with in front of the sun with very minimal to no cloud cover. Sometimes it's a pain in the butt to put sunscreen all over your body every, you know, couple hours. So one of the easier ways is just wear clothing that um, has sun protection with it. And then you don't need to think about applying the sunscreen as much. So I think, you know, one of the things, uh, Dr. Danny, that patients always want to know is, let's say I get diagnosed with a skin cancer, you know, is it common? You know, I think people always want to know that question. And number two is, well, what, what do we do with it when I get diagnosed with a skin cancer? Can you kind of give us the big picture on what the next steps would be? So skin cancers are common. You know, they, they increase... Um, increase in incidence later uh, in life. So you're more more likely to um, encounter a, a diagnosis of a, of a basal cell uh, skin cancer, a squamous cell skin cancer later in life. And it, it is associated with cumulative uh, UV exposure. So um, I think reassuring patients that these skin cancers uh, can show up later in life and may have been related to prior prior sun exposure but as long as we're catching it early they're curable you know that that's the key and Anne, i think just to piggyback i think you know one of the things that you have to keep in mind is that non-melanoma skin cancers are the most common cancer diagnoses for people in the united states so men and women the most common cancer diagnosis non melanoma skin cancers. In fact, if you go to 
cancer websites and statistics, they always start every discussion with every other type of cancer with, well, other than non-melanoma <laughs> skin cancers, cancer X is the first or second most common. So just know that it is very common and that just highlights the need for sun protection and highlights the need to see a dermatologist. And so what does treatment look like in in melanoma? So that's that's a little bit more serious. My dad's had melanoma twice now. So can you talk a little bit about that and you know, especially how radiation, you know, plays into Yeah, that. so melanoma once it's diagnosed, the first step is um, typically Depending on how big the lesion is, they'll examine for lymph nodes, which are basically the body's sewer system. So fluid drains throughout our entire body through our lymph node system. They're all over our body, heads to toe, thousands of lymph nodes across our body. And so when cancer spreads, it typically spreads either through those lymph nodes or through the blood. So when someone's diagnosed with a melanoma on their skin, the first step should be examining those lymph nodes in nearby areas to see if they're involved or not. Then usually there's some form of staging uh, involving imaging. Uh, so a PET scan or an MRI or some sort of image to show how big is this, how deep does it go, and are any of the other parts of the body involved. And then if the problem is localized, meaning that the melanoma hasn't spread anywhere, the first step is usually a surgical resection. So a surgeon would go in um, or a uh, dermatological surgeon, sometimes called a Mohs surgeon, uh, depending on the body part, uh, to remove the melanoma and to also, in a lot of cases, sample the lymph nodes at the time of surgery. So they'll actually biopsy those lymph nodes, look at them under the microscope to see if the melanoma has moved from the skin into the lymph nodes. And then depending on those results, that changes whether a patient may need radiation. Um, Seeing Dr. Rick, or whether they need to see Dr. Danny to talk about some of the latest and greatest um, advances of medicine in that area, which he'll get into shortly. But it's a it's a very stepwise process, and so much of it just has to do with how advanced the melanoma is when it's found. Yeah, I think the initial thing that will be you know determined is that usually you know a primary care physician or a dermatologist identifies a lesion as suspicious for melanoma. You know, most dermatologists will um, perform a biopsy in their clinic and you get a sense of how deep that melanoma is. So that's one of the key key features of it. How far down into the skin is it is it uh, uh, invading and that depth, how far it is, you know, going into the deeper layers of the skin tissue kind of is part of the staging process, which then kind of reflexively tells you, okay, this is what I need to do next. Do I need a wide local excision? In most cases, yes. You need to fully uh, excise uh, and leave all the surrounding margins clear of the melanoma and not only the deep margins, but the periphery of the, of the skin. And that's usually done with a surgeon. And then based on, based on that initial biopsy, where you understand how deep that melanoma is invading into the skin, you decide on whether a lymph node needs to be taken out, like Dr. Rick says. And it's, it's either a lymph node or multiple lymph nodes in that drainage pattern where, uh, where the, uh, how the lymphatic system drains from, from that skin location. So, um, and then you, you get a full uh, staging uh, for a patient with a new diagnosis, including the depth of the tumor, uh, of the melanoma, 
you get the lymph node status and you decide on does the patient require any other treatment and do they need additional imaging because a lot of times we're seeing these patients without any imaging and that's okay for most stage one melanomas we're talking about more superficial melanomas that aren't growing too deep into the tissue imaging isn't really necessary but um, as you get more advanced into closer to lymph node involvement which would be a stage three you definitely want to start imaging and making sure that there's no signs of spread of those melanoma cells anywhere in the body so you know, there's been a lot of remarkable uh, treatment uh, breakthroughs for, for melanoma, and, and we're talking about stage three and stage four melanoma. Um, melanoma, uh, you know, if we look at, if we look at 15, 20 years ago, melanoma, when it's metastasized to other areas of the body, has been had been largely classified as an incurable disease, with the exception of some uh, immunotherapies which were available then, uh, but required hospitalization, were very toxic, and only maybe cured a very small percentage of patients, five to 10%. Nowadays, you know, for patients that unfortunately have a diagnosis of metastatic or uh, stage four melanoma, we're actually able to cure over half of patients now in a lot of cases, in a lot Truly of cases, which is, which is, uh, yeah, remarkable. And again, it depends on a variety of factors. So I, you can't just say that, you know, everyone is going to fall into that bag of cure, but, but our, our treatments are remarkable. Uh, they're mostly use, utilizing the, uh, your own immune system to, uh, become more active against, uh, killing cancer cells. And, and it's just, it's it's been groundbreaking over the past 10 years. Now, Dr. Danny, this sounds like a pretty fancy, highfalutin treatment you're talking about. Is this something that patients can get with cancer specialists, or do they have to go to, you know, travel to a, a different city to get it? It sounds like it's pretty fancy. It does sound fancy. And, and no, Dr. Rick, uh, patients don't have to travel uh, outside the, the state of Florida. They don't have to travel to a different country. This is done in our office. And it's done every day where you have patients on uh, immunotherapy treatment, either combined immunotherapy treatment or even uh, what we call single agent immunotherapy uh, in treatment of these melanomas. And patients are doing remarkably well. And one of the, I mean, one of the greatest, I think, benefits of immunotherapy has been the reduction in side effects related to treatment. Um, patients, you know, 20, Plus years ago, when you had a diagnosis of stage four melanoma, you were you were put on chemotherapy or you were put on a clinical trial, which you know could be investigating some new therapy. But chemotherapy for melanoma has never been shown to be very active. It's toxic, as we know. Um, it has a variety of side effects, which affect quality of life. And immunotherapy has not only um, yielded just unheard of survival rates uh, with, with treatment, but patients are feeling um, sometimes as if they're not even on treatment. Now, is this a pill or an injection they have to take every day, or how does it work? Yeah, so it's uh, most of the immunotherapy agents that are FDA-approved right now are given intravenously, and they're given intravenously really without any pre-medications. Patients come in for uh, an IV infusion that's usually an hour or less, and so it's not taking up 
uh, a lot of time of patient stay. They can come in um, at, at their convenience. And again, you don't need to administer five additional treatments with their immunotherapy. It's they get the immunotherapy drug, they go home, and by and large, we're seeing patients with, we're seeing patients who have um, bad diseases who are tolerating treatment extremely well. That's remarkable. And speaking from a personal place with my dad, when I was little and he had cancer for the first time, he was on a clinical trial mm-hmm. therapy, and it was, I mean, it was awful. It was everything. When you think of cancer, like, that's that's what he went through. And when he was re-diagnosed stage four a couple years ago, we were kind of bracing ourselves for that, and then they told us about immunotherapy, and it was like he wasn't even sick. We had to remind ourselves, like, oh, he, he needs to take it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Just really from like, you know, a family standpoint, it's incredible to watch, you know, in his 50s now, he was 100% more active on cancer treatment than he was when he was in his 30s and, and undergoing chemo. So, and, and at, a, you know, a higher stage as well. It's pretty incredible that we have this in our practice. He's at Dana-Farber up in Boston. And so that community practices like cancer specialists have those treatments available is, is pretty special. It's something else. It is special. I think it's it's leading to you know better convenience for patients. Uh, patients don't have to feel the burden of traveling hours to see their medical oncologist, radiation oncologist. You know we're we're able to treat patients close to home and and allow for more family time and, and better quality of life. So you know I think that you know not only. Can we administer these immunotherapy treatments um, in clinic? But we also, and I just wanted to highlight for for melanoma that there are some targeted treatments available. That's the other kind of more groundbreaking treatment uh, improvement that's been made over the last you know five to ten years is is uh, what we call BRAF and MEK inhibitors, and these are actually pills that patients can take to um, oftentimes yield just robust and and great responses that allow patients to take their medicine at home. They don't even really need to come into clinic uh, to be treated for for their melanoma. And um, again, responses are great. Uh, Quality of life is good on these treatments. I think um, when you compare it to, again, the treatments we had 20 plus years ago, it's just it's just a remarkable change. And uh, all of these treatments we can administer here at Cancer Specialists. So it sounds like if, if you could take the pill, why not take the pill, Danny? Is everyone with melanoma eligible for that type of medicine? So no, not everyone's eligible. I think, um, you know, your medical oncologist will will look into whether you, you're eligible for the treatment. And, it, and it's specifically uh, a mutation in the melanoma cells that we're looking for called a BRAF mutation. And again, this is standard. Your Your medical oncologist will be requesting that test to be done when you have your biopsy and and, and then you uh, basically meet with them and decide on what the best treatment is for you. So, um, you know, in terms of is everyone on immunotherapy or is any everyone on BRAF, uh, MEK inhibition? No, you know, you kind of decide on what's best for that patient. Um, and, and again, that's, that's the... <laughs> I mean, that's the benefit we have nowadays is that we actually have options for patients. Yeah, I think and it just highlights to me part of what this point in this podcast is if you're a patient listening or a family member listening of a patient, you know, definitely ask these questions and, mm-hmm. and find out because these are the very basics of what 
2020 melanoma treatment should look like. And so you should, you know, definitely not never feel shy or afraid to ask these type of questions because again, it's extremely important and you want to make sure your provider is doing everything they're supposed to do and they're up to date and have everything uh, set in motion that is supposed to be set in motion. And I think one of the, you know, and we're kind of, I'm going to change topics a little bit here, but not, not fully is that, you know, we're using these immunotherapy treatments now for patients with non-melanoma skin cancers. And I think that's been a, a pretty recent change. And I know Dr. Rick has, has seen some patients who we've collaborated on and, and discussed. And, you know, these are patients who have either squamous cell uh, carcinoma of the skin or basal cell carcinomas that are, you know, as Dr. Rick said, the most common types of cancer patients are diagnosed with. Um, and, and these are cancers that are recurrent that, uh, even if they're taken off that a new one pops up, you know, a week, months later, and they're just challenging for patients. Patients are having to go in and see their dermatologist basically, almost probably seems every month or, uh, you know, and trying to manage these new skin lesions, they end up bleeding, they end up being at risk of infection. And so patients who are having these recurrent skin cancers popping up on the skin, um, in the past, you know, your options were take it off or potentially administer some radiation to those regions to lessen the risk of uh, the skin cancer popping up there again. But now we can incorporate these immunotherapy treatments for those types of those types of skin cancer and its reduced recurrence rates. It's been remarkable. So I think that we've kind of grown up in the sunscreen generation versus our parents who 60s, 70s growing up were putting cooking oil on themselves to tan. So do you see, you know, an influx in that in that generation of skin cancers? And if so, you know, what what would you tell people to look out for? The number one risk factor for skin cancer is age. So as mm-hmm. we get older, the risk goes up. And then the second most common factor, um, especially for um, the majority of skin cancers is sun exposure, which we, we touched on. So you combine a generation where sunscreen maybe wasn't as prevalent, and now that generation is getting older, there it's of course we're going to be seeing um, a higher incidence of these cancers and really a lot of it is for the patients what they can do self-exams so you know what I always recommend is take a photo um, of the area you're concerned about and then obviously bring it up to your doctor and your dermatologist but also you can monitor for changes and you know take a photo every six months and you can compare directly hey, does this look different does this not look different now that we are in the smartphone era it's certainly a lot easier to do than it used to be but I really think it's just making sure people are aware number one of the issue and that they see the right provider I think it's that's the that's the secret sauce Uh, unfortunately there's no magic to undo uh, sun exposure that's already happened but that doesn't mean if you've done it in the past you can't be taking care of yourself by doing these things going forward in the future. So if you have a family history of melanoma, for example, that ever since I've been little, I've been going to the dermatologist like every Mm -hmm. six months. So when you have a patient that is diagnosed with melanoma, do you make those recommendations to their family members if they have children? Is that that a predisposition or what would you? I think that 
it when you have a family history of melanoma, I think it depends on um, when we look at not only melanoma, but all types of cancer, you look at what is the family history. So you try to get a family tree together. You say, okay, which family members were affected? Are these first degree relatives? Are they not first degree relatives? And kind of how, how did that family tree look in terms of uh, the types of cancer which afflicted the family? And then you got to decide on well, is it worthwhile investigating and having a patient see a genetic counselor and potentially send off genetic testing, germline genetic testing, to look for uh, genes which may be associated with high risk of cancer development? And, and we're talking about including melanoma. So I think you still have to kind of take it step by step and look at the family tree. I wouldn't say that everyone with a family history of melanoma that I'm, you know, reflexively ordering genetic testing on them, but you look at um, the, the case-by-case basis, look at which other family members might have been affected, what other cancers maybe have, have been, uh, uh, you know, diagnosed in, in other family members, and then deciding on whether you need to pursue further testing. And I think just from a screening standpoint, if you have a family history of melanoma, uh, producer uh, Brenna's right, you should be getting more frequent skin exams. I mean, that just makes sense to me. And I think um, you know, even without a genetic predisposition per se that's documented, you'd gotta, you gotta listen to, uh, y- your, your family history and, and that goes for anything, you know. Well, I think it's also important to realize what, well, what's the intervention we're talking about doing? The intervention is you go see a dermatologist and they examine <laughs> you, you know, it doesn't require, right. Right. Uh, expensive testing. It doesn't require expensive scans. Right. It doesn't require expensive treatment. So, the risk reward of if you have any predisposition, whether it's family history, personal history, you live in a sun exposed area, um, I think it's very prudent of you to, and my biased opinion, very prudent of you to see a dermatologist once a Mm -hmm. year. I I think to me, there's really no downside and potentially obviously a lot of upside. And I think this is definitely one of those situations um, where, you know, an ounce of prevention can be worth a pound, you know, of cure in the future. So I think it's, you know, it's a, it, in my opinion, a no-brainer. So Dr. Danny, uh, we are recording this on a Friday. I know people are going to be yeah. listening to this on a Tuesday, but what, you got any plans this weekend? What are we doing? I do have plans, Rick. Oh, man. I do. Uh, I know you, you did ask me to golf on Saturday, and I was very upset that I had to decline your offer. Really? Because you're smiling right now. It doesn't feel like you were that upset. No, I am. I am. Um, so, so this weekend I'm running a 5K, Rick. What? A 5K. Yes. Um, Five thousand what? <laughs> so I got talked into running a 5K uh, by my sister-in-law, and we're gonna run it uh, in Winter Park, Florida. Do you know where that is? I do. Outside of Orlando, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, Winter Park. So um, I've I've done little preparation for this, so I'm very nervous. Any advice that you have for me? Don't go. Uh, would be obviously <laughs> the first piece of advice. I think golf is a much more enjoyable activity than running and hurting your knees. I mean, you're a big guy, Danny. I don't want you to. I don't want to see you get hurt. And I didn't tell you the time I have to run. Seven thirty a.m. Rick. Well, that, that's. I mean, we're used to getting up early as yeah. as clinicians, but and at least that's you true. get it, you get it before it gets too hot. 
It's true. 90 and degrees this weekend. And before that sun comes out. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Are you going to stay covered and wear sunscreen? Of course I am. Good. Of course I am. Good. Just making um, sure. That's just me being mama, Dr. Rick, for you. So, yeah. So I'll be running that 5K and um, spending time with family. So our family in Orlando, my father-in-law's birthday, we're going to celebrate that a little bit and, you know, hang out. So what are you doing this weekend, Dr. Rick? So real quick before I get into this weekend, last weekend my sister got married, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, congratulations! I got the, thank sir. you. I got to put in my uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I get the congratulations <laughs> when my family member gets married. Duh. Is this is this the sister that gave you the one star review? Uh, no, actually, this would be my other sister. That, oh, good. Yeah, She's she five, gave. I think oh. she just gave you a five star. Yeah. Okay. Actually. Good. There we go. Okay, good. There good. we go. There's our three listeners. All right, we're ch- we're, we're, clock, we're clocking them in real real good right now. Um, but this weekend I'll be golfing, hopefully one of the two days, whichever day I'm allowed to. Uh, and then pretty much probably just spending most of the, uh, the weekend with my son, uh, who is almost two and going on 27. As far as I can tell, uh, he has a mind of his own and it's been a full-time job corralling him. So that, that's usually where I spend my time and why I'm all bruised up when I come to work (laughs) on Monday. Has he been out on the course? He's not. Uh, this yeah. is definitely, I'm going to hopefully be aiming for it. I don't know if I want to go full Earl Woods on him, um, you know, and really turn him into the next Tiger. Uh, he's been blessed, fortunately, with my wife's good looks, but I don't know about his athleticism. It's too soon to tell, I think. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. There's definitely time, you know. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I'm trying to convince my seven-year-old to come out and play with us. Still. I know, I know. We so, gotta, we gotta get him out there. Even, he's gonna get out there. I think um, he's a good athlete. He is. He's a runner, so he's in track right now. Um, I was impressed by his his hurdling. Is that what they call it? Hurdling. I, I, I don't know. I is, don't know. Now but is he is he gonna be critiquing your? Something. Is he gonna be critiquing your form in this five k then? No, no, none of them want to come watch me. Actually. Oh well. <laughs> To be fair to them, to be fair to them, I mean, I'm in in that boat. It's early in the morning on a Saturday to watch people run. I I don't blame them, but, um, but it'll be fun. We'll, we'll probably get out and, uh, you know, they're always asking for some ice cream or something like that to, uh, to make their day. They're always asking. Right. Of course. No, I'm sure when you go, you get nothing, right? I might, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I may, uh, I may have some selfish. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've ran a 5K, at least you can feel better about yourself yeah. for eating ice cream later. I deserve ice cream after that. Yeah, 5K. exactly. That's how I look at it. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming back and joining us for another episode of Medical Minute. And as always, if you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you'd like answered, comments about things we want to say, you want to hear us say, or just want to, you know, bother us, uh, you can email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on social media. Search Cancer Specialist of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. And TikTok coming soon. Producer Brenna, I keep asking. I don't know I'm why work, he keeps bringing this up. TikTok? He wants to be TikTok famous, I think. I want to be TikTok famous, and I think it's time we get with the times, okay? All right, I'll work on it. Maybe next time. Okay, All good, right. good. <laughs> and as always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time, and we hope you learned something today. And remember, when it comes to your health, 
Stay informed, ask questions, and, and tune, tune in, in next time. time.